1848, a man by the name of James Marshall, in a little place called Columba, California, went down to the stream which powered the sawmill which he was building. And upon looking at the erosion that was taking place, lo and behold, something caught his eye. And when he picked it up, he was amazed to find that he had discovered gold. You and I know that as Sutter's Mill. And we also know that the ensuing years of four some years brought literally thousands upon thousands of people into that area to discover gold. Under current value, they discovered some, somewhat like over $300 million worth of gold in four years. But you know, we have to understand that even though they thought they were discovering gold, it had been there all the time. But can you imagine... Can you imagine the joy, the excitement of picking up a gold nugget because they were just literally laying on the ground, on top of the ground in the early years? Can you imagine the joy and the excitement of just reaching down and picking up, say, a half a million dollars? I want to speak to you this morning. Yes, it's about gold, precious gold, refined But I want to speak to you this morning about grace. And I use that as an introduction and as also I will be using it as an analogy to what we discover only to find out that it's been there all the time. Would you turn with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 2 and I'll be reading verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. And we ask God to bless the reading of his word. Many years ago as I was growing into what we would call maturity in the, in the word of God. Actually when I was pastoring so many churches and had to learn so many hymns in seminary also that I discovered this hymn. Listen to the words. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord. Grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilt. Grace, grace, God's grace Grace that would pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. What is grace? Well, many would define grace as God's unmerited favor, and that's exactly what it is. One of my staff members at Penfield had an acronym on his wall that said G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. And then someone else said one time, if mercy is not getting what you deserve, then grace must be getting what you don't deserve. I like that. In just a few words, 
we have just described exactly what grace is. It's getting what you don't deserve. But just like the goal at Sutter's Mill that had always been there, just think about how excited they must have been when they discovered it themselves. And I submit to you that God's grace has always been here. While we can go back to the book of Genesis and find out that it was grace that kept Adam and Eve from being killed by God. Because God said, if you eat of the tree, you will surely die. But when the penalty had to be paid, God paid the penalty. For he gave them skin coverings. Grace. It's always been there. Now, God's grace will woo us. Now, woo is an archaic English word that we rarely ever hear anymore. So we supplanted that with another old English word that is court. God courts us. And when we think about court, we think about a basketball court or, or a tennis court. Or sometimes we think about the court at the county courthouse. But I submit to you this morning that God courts us. Now, in today's terms, we might use the word date. God dates us. But that really does not explain God's wooing us and God courting us. Maybe an analogy like this would be, can you remember, husbands, when you were wooing your wife? Maybe you can remember when you were courting your wife. Now, that, those are terms that you don't hear in today's time. You might hear, well, I text my girlfriend or I emailed my girlfriend. Some of us can remember actually going down to the telephone booth and putting in a nickel to call our girlfriend. Some of you might have even bought a Hallmark card and paid 25 cents for it to mail it with a three-cent stamp. But we were wooing, we were courting those people, that person, I should say, that we loved. Many of us were successful. Some not so successful. So God woos us. God courts us. And in Revelation 22, chapter, uh, ch- chapter 22, verse 17, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts, come. Whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. You see, God is wooing you. God doesn't simply follow after you. God is always in front of you. He's always saying, come. Come to me. You see, grace has always been there. And praise God, grace will always be there. God's grace draws us. We read in John's John's gospel, No one can come to me unless the Father who sends me draws him, and I will raise him up on that last day. I I like to think about this drawing uh, as an analogy, two analogies that I love. One is that, When you get up in the summertime and you know it's going to be hot, but there's a dew on the grass and the sun comes up and the the sun just draws that dew up out of that grass. That's the drawing. God just draws us. For steak lovers, I I would use this analogy. It's like putting salt on a T-bone steak, how it draws out the flavor. You see, God is always drawing you to it. 
Now, sometimes he has to use the bad events of our life in order to get our attention. But he's always drawn us. Sometimes he'll use those good times in our lives to say, Look, look, Lem, look at the blessings that I've given you. You see, God is always wooing us. God is always drawing us because he loves us. God's grace frees us. John's gospel also states, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set or make you free. That's the point in time that your head knowledge of God, everything that you know about God becomes heart knowledge. It has moved from there to here. You now believe it. You want to live it. And in so doing, that freedom sets you free from everything that would have ever hindered you from getting to know God. That's freedom. That is total freedom. You see, God's grace sets you free. God's grace empowers us also. In Romans, we read, For when we were still without strength, in due time God died for the ungodly. The mere strength that it takes for someone to confess the Lord Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior comes from the Holy Spirit. Many years ago, I, wrote, uh, <laughs> I read about an accident. This 18-wheeler had run off the road, and the trailer part was all down in the woods, and, and the cab part was all twisted and, 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 and turned in every direction, and, and the driver was inside. He could not get out. And the cab was burning. This recently happened, by the way, over on I-20 in, in Louisiana last week. An accident very, very similar. And he was burning. They had no tools to get him out. People began to pray. What are we going to do? And suddenly this man comes walking up. And he walked right up to the cab. And he literally jerked the door off the hinges. And the man got out. And they said, how did you do that? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know how I did that. I just knew it had to be done. You see, we're talking there about human strength. We're talking about a natural strength. But when we talk about being empowered by God, we're talking about supernatural strength. And everything I've just talked to you about is about prevenient grace, a term that you might never have heard. And it literally means the grace of God that has always been there. And through his wooing and courting, through his drawing, through his pleading, sometimes we come to discover God's grace. It would be my prayer that sometime today, whether it would be now during this time or maybe later, that you would also discover one of those gold nuggets of God's grace. For you see, the central theme in the entire Bible is God loves you. Unfortunately, unfortunately, we... For some reason, we always want to measure our worthiness by those things that we have done 
and sometimes by those things that we have not done. Sometimes you could call that, and a lot of times they would call that person versus performance. But you know, God's love is not earned by keeping rules and principles and laws. God's love is not earned by keeping rules. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith and not that of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works. I'd like to think about it like this. Should I be rich enough to have a $100 bill in my pocket and I would walk up to you and I'd say, do you want this? I want to give it to you. And you say, what do I have to do to earn it? Then it's no longer a gift, is it? If somebody wants to give you a gift and you want to work to pay them back for it, that's not a gift. You've just worked for it. So you see, Paul is telling us here in the book of Ephesians, we cannot work for our salvation. It's all about grace. And if you don't leave here, if you leave here today, I should say, if you don't leave here, you're going to be all by yourself eventually. (laughs) But if you leave here today, I would ask you to leave here with at least this next statement after a little short personal story. Sandy and I had heard all of our married life about the empty nest syndrome. You know, that's when all your children leave home. And people were having terrible times. They, they had an empty nest all of a sudden. They didn't know what to do with themselves. Well, if you're faced with that situation, if you haven't experienced an empty nest, I got good news for you. It ain't bad. <laughs> Matter of fact, it ain't bad at all. <laughs> Matter of fact, it's some of the best times Sandy and I have ever had in our marriage. You see, Kimmy and Chrissy and Leslie and John leave home. <laughs> Unfortunately, I'll also tell you this, they start coming back at times too. <laughs> but that's always rejoicing because you can always send them out again. But we did hit that time, that, that time of an empty nest. And, and, and we, Sandy would say, Lim just had to have a travel trailer. You know, we just had to get into this business, you know. And, and we did buy one. And, of course, I'd always, I'd just already bought, just a year before that, the last pickup truck I'd ever need. Heading home with some husbands. I'll say that again. I had just bought the last pickup truck I would ever have to buy. Sandy said, yeah, it went like this. Honey, if you'll just let me buy this truck, it'd be the last one I'd ever want to buy. Well, I had done that. And we started out with one trailer, and it wasn't big enough, so we bought another one that was bigger. Come on, help me out here. What are you thinking about? That's right. A bigger trailer means what? A bigger truck. (laughs) Absolutely. You know? And I had up here in my mind exactly what that other truck had to have. And and, and through only (laughs) the word of a friend, you thought I was going to say only by the grace of God, right? Only by by the word of a friend did I find one. And I went to look at it. And I'm going to tell you what. 
It was the exact size that I needed. It was a dually. I mean, this thing was created in Detroit by Ford for me. It was the right color. It had the exact uh, uh, graphics on it. I started to say graffiti, didn't I? It had exact graphics on it that the RV had. It had this huge engine and this huge transmission that would just pull that thing right on down the highway at 10 miles a gallon or not. (laughs) The inside was just, just like what I wanted. It was exactly what I wanted. It was the right color. It was the right shape. It had all the equipment I wanted. How long, people, do you think it took me to justify to buy that? Are you asleep? One split second. That's exactly what I need. Now, let me share this with you. You are exactly what God wants. Matter of fact, God made you. You were made in heaven for God. You're the right color. You're the right shape. And you have the right equipment. In the book of Romans, we read this. It is God that justifies. You see, we spend a lot of time because of the Humanity that we are, because we look at our performance and our actions or lack of actions, and we want, for some reason, and Satan wants us to believe that we have to justify our salvation. And I fought that for years, I'll be honest with you. Many of you might be fighting that right now. Many of you might be saved right now, yet you are still struggling with whether or not you're worth being saved. Well, let me tell you what. It is God that justifies and none other. We can put that to bed. We can put that to rest and put it to bed right now. It is God that justifies. And justifying grace is seen clearly in the cross of Calvary. Do not let anyone ever tell you or try to trick you into thinking that John 3.16 does not need to be in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. There it is. Justifying grace. God did it. We didn't do it. S.M. Lockridge wanted to... I guess if I could just listen to anyone preach all the time other than myself, it would be S.M. Lockridge. And coming to this part about Christ dying, this is what he says. He died. He died. He died. For you. That, my friend... Is justifying grace. 
For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourself. That's it. But you know, justifying grace is also double acceptance. Listen again to John 3.16, and I'm going to break it in two for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God is giving. Listen to the last part. That whosoever believes on him should not perish. You see, a double acceptance. God has accepted you, now you need to accept God. For the Lord appeals to our will. By grace, we are free to choose. Jesus says in the book of Revelation, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. Many times on Saturday mornings, I will hear this on my door. And I have a choice. I can go to the door or I can remain exactly where I am. And this is exactly what Jesus is telling you and me. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. You see, we have that choice. How many of you would go to bed on Christmas night with Christmas gifts that were not yet opened? I don't see any hands. Yeah, there's always one. I want to tell you that. You give me a gift, it's going to be ripped open. And that's what we need to do. You see, salvation is a gift from God. Don't go any longer without opening up that gift to salvation. And please, do not leave here thinking that you have to own it, uh, earn it. When God touches our heart, our response should be love. If you love me, Jesus says, you will keep my commandments. And for the sake of time, let me just simply ask, what is it about love that you don't understand? Jimmy preached a whole month on it. And I could read that chapter to you. But I'd ask you again, what is it about love that you don't understand? You know, we were not born walking. Neither can we follow or walk after Jesus until we grow in Christ. And someone said one time, you know, if God just wanted me to be saved and that was it, when he saved me, he would have zapped me and taken me on to heaven. We well, see, once we know prevenient grace and once we come to deal with justifying grace and we get saved, we need to also understand that there's another portion of this, another dimension that is called sanctifying grace. That's where we learn to walk in Christ. We learn to allow the Holy Spirit to nurture you. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. And you know what? I bet you that that pruning process might be a little bit painful. 
But I want to tell you what a vine dresser would do. A vine dresser would go out to the vine and he'd lift it up. Each branch he'd lift up and he would look at that. And I I imagine having not a green thumb, I would imagine that he was looking at that vine with loving care. And if that vine had worked its way into the wrong place, he'd take it and pull it out so it would enjoy the, the bright sunshine. And then if it had a diseased place, he would prune it off. You see, he was nurturing that vine. And sometimes we find ourselves in the wrong places in life. And sometimes he has to pull us out of there and, and prune us a little bit and put us in the sunshine of his love so that we can grow in Jesus Christ. We need to follow his leadership. For in Matthew's gospel, Jesus said to the men, he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. When I got saved and and, and started teaching Sunday school and doing some of the other things that you do in school, in church, as as you begin to grow in Christ. I kind of realized that God wanted me to do something. Now, I didn't know what it was. I'll, I'll be honest with you. My greatest fear was that God was going to send me to Africa until I went to New York City. Then my fear was that God was going to send me to New York City. And then I found out that through God's working, as only God can do, he moved me from, Wake, uh, from Rock Hill, South Carolina, to Richmond, Virginia. And it was while I was there that, that I began to understand what God really wanted in my life. I began to understand what God really wanted me to do, and that was just submit everything I was, just give everything I was to him. And I did that. <clears throat> The next thing you know, I ended up up in seminary. And the next thing you know, I ended up in Greene County, Georgia. Been here now for 30 years. Next thing you know, after pastoring a church for 14 years, I ended up at Penfield Christian Home. We need to And we can only do this through the grace of God and by his strength and by him being nurtured, we need to follow his leadership. Wherever that might take us. I am convinced now that if he had and if he would call me to Africa now, I would go. I am not real sure about New York City yet. But I do know that if he placed that call on my life, because I believe that he calls those not calls people not because of their abilities, but because of their availability, I believe that I could, after a short time, make myself available to go there. For you see, it's only by being nurtured that we find that we can follow Jesus Christ. And in this process, it's amazing what he's going to do. 
One of the most amazing things that he did in my life was restore a broken relationship that I had. My brother and I had not been around each other for, for many years due to distance, due to things that had happened in our lives. Some of those things good, a lot of them, most of them bad. And just due to who he is and who I am, we did not see each other often. And I earnestly prayed about this because he's my brother. He's my only brother. He's always been my mentor in life. And I really missed him. And I began to pray earnestly about that. And you know what happened? When I got earnest about it, God could work. And you know what? I believe that my brother got earnest about it also. And it's amazing what God did. Within just a year, we were seeing each other again. Visiting my home and, and, and my family visiting his home. It's amazing when we begin to follow Christ and we allow him to nurture us. He will restore broken relationships. And I would really bet you this morning that there are many people in this congregation that have broken relationships, maybe with a family member, maybe with a friend that you've had for years. Broken relationships that need to be mended. For how can we honestly testify and witness for Christ Jesus the man who died on a cross for our sins. How can we honestly testify for Jesus Christ when we have broken relationships? We need to allow God to, to perfect us in Christ Jesus. Paul writes in, in Colossians, Him, that is Jesus, Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Now, I want to tell you what. It is my belief that I and you, you and I, we will never be perfected on this face of this earth. But we are, if we are saved, if we've been washed with the blood of Jesus Christ, we are perfected in God's eyes. So if you see me walk up to a mirror and really begin to smile and take notice who I am, you see, I think I'm the most handsome man on the face of the planet. Now, you might not believe that, and that's okay. But you see, I have a real healthy understanding of who I am. Oh, I know I'm losing my hair. I know I'm picking up weight. I know that for my birthdays, they no longer buy one box. They buy two boxes of candles. I understand that. But also understand this, that God loved me so much that he gave his son to die for me. And I know that I'm being perfected here, but I'm already perfected there. So for a good, healthy, spiritual outlook, when I look in the mirror, I'm seeing the most perfect man on the planet because that's how God sees me. I challenge you to develop that attitude. Oh, you'll have people laugh at you, but that's all right. It's all right. Allow God to equip you. 
Now remember I said earlier that God doesn't call people because of their abilities. He calls people because they're available. And I'm going to tell you that God will equip you. He will do that. Let me tell you what he might equip you with. Administration skills, discernment, faith, healing, helps, knowledge, miracles, prophecy, teaching, speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues. And here's the one I like. Here's the one I pray for. James says that you need to pray for it all the time. And that's wisdom. You see, God's going to equip, equip you. God calls us. That's prevenient grace. God saves us. That's justifying grace. And God perfects us. That is sanctifying grace. For it is by grace you are saved, not of works. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just, oh, how we thank you, Lord. How we love you. How we desire that everybody know you and that everybody would love you. And Father, it would be my prayer that today as I spoke, as the word of God was shared, it would be my prayer that many people found those little gold nuggets on the ground. God's truths, God's promises. How they would be able to identify now just how much God loves them and how much Jesus loves them. It'd be my prayer, Lord, today that that in this time of fellowship and this time of worship and this time of praise, that we have all grown closer to you, Lord, than ever before. It is my prayer, Lord, that we'll all leave this place rejoicing, singing your praises, and telling everyone about Jesus. It's in his name that we pray, saying amen.